It is an experience that all of us as human beings share in common. It is an experience that none of us can avoid if we live long enough. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you're educated or not. It makes no difference whether you live on the river or live in the woods. It makes no difference your people group that you happen to be born into. We all share a very common experience together. Ben Franklin said that in this life you can only be certain of two things. Taxes are one of them and death is another. It's inevitable, at least in the present scheme of things. Because of this world brought in by Adam's sin, death was a result, and people died. But in today's story, um, in fact, let me show you a common, um, the grim reaper will come for all of us. But I'm thankful that when he shows up at the door, if you know Christ, there's a brighter future than what you see behind me. If you need a reminder of um, the fact that um, you're going to die one day, let me encourage you to look back at a photo 30 years ago of you and look in the mirror today. You you know, when we were born, we began to die. Life is a fight back, a fight back of the, the forces of death. It really is. Unfortunately, death is the default mode. Uh, I heard last week of uh, the death of Donna Douglas, who was uh, Ellie Mae on the Beverly Hillbillies. And um, just to show you the processes of time, Ellie was still pretty in the 80s, but take a look at the, the, the two shots. It reminds us all that we're growing older and the time will come when we will breathe our last. The encouraging thing in today's story is that death is not the final response or answer. Death is not the last word. In the story today, Jesus meets death, and death lays down and gives way to life. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 11. We'll look down at verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. This is the second time he is going to deeply grieve. Back up in verse 33, as he saw Mary and Martha and everyone weeping, he was greatly troubled. It means to physically shake. It means to be so full of anguish that that you, you vibrate. Then Jesus deeply moved again. And let me just stop and say again that he is touched with our sorrow. That we have not a high priest who cannot feel what we feel. In fact, there's nothing in our lives that you can possibly feel of heartache and crushing blow that he has not felt before you felt it. And he knows. I'm very careful when I meet grieving people not to say to them this, I know how you feel. Now, if I have experienced the very same thing, I might say it. Never say that to someone because you don't know how they feel. But Jesus does. He knows how you feel. He shares the grief 
with you. And a grief that is shared is but half of the load. It is lifted somehow in the sharing of that grief. And it says that Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Now behind me is a picture of the tomb, or a tomb of the times. These were caves, these were hollowed out areas in the sides of hills with stones around them. Uh, During festivals, they would whitewash them, paint them white, so that the worshipers wouldn't come anywhere near to be defiled by these tombs. There was usually a stone rolled over the face of it, usually a circular stone so they could roll it over the covering. So they came to this tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone was laid against it. That's about the viewpoint of the world when it comes to death. A cave and a stone. That's all they got. Do you know that? Do you know that all the lost have is a cave and a stone? They've got a finality to it all. They've got an ending spot. They have nothing beyond. But as Abraham Lincoln once said, that God would never have created such a magnificent creation as man, but for a day. We were created for beyond death to a life that's coming. But that's all the world has. It has has a cave and it has a stone. Look at verse 39. This is what happens when Jesus shows up at the graveside. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha speaks. Because Martha can't help but speak. That's Martha. Get it done. Fix the meal. Straighten things out. Martha. Those of you who are Marthas among us, smile now because that's you. You would have said this. Marys, Marys don't understand this. Marys are quiet and wait on the Lord. Marthas have to speak up. That's okay. Jesus can handle the Martha in you. He goes on and says in verse 39, Martha, the sister of the dead man. Notice they're no longer calling him Lazarus. He is the dead man. Again, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. The old King James says, by this time he stinketh. Why? Because it has been four days that he has been dead. Now again, I emphasize the point to you that this is a picture of lost humanity. If you don't know Christ today, you've never received Christ, you are dead in your sins. You are four days dead. There's an odor about you. There's nothing you can do. You are decaying. You can't get up from the tomb, you're dead. Jesus raised dead people before this fact. Do you know that? But usually they, in fact, every time until this point, he, they raised him, they, he raised them soon after death. But this is four days. This is the greatest of all miracles. Notice in verse 39. Lord, by this time he has an odor. In other words, don't open the grave. It'll be, it will be disgraceful to the dead. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, a couple things I want you to notice in that phrase. He did not say that if you believe, you will see Lazarus rise again. He didn't say that. He 
he was mostly concerned not with the raising of Lazarus, but the display of the glory of God. When Martha asked him about Lazarus earlier, she never asked him to raise Lazarus. She simply left it in his court. Whatever God does in our lives, the major concern is not that we get what we want. Obviously, Mary and Martha wanted Lazarus out of that tomb. The major concern was the glory of God, whether Lazarus stays in the tomb or comes out of the tomb. Now, let me teach you a little bit about Bible theology and give you a little heads up about how to correctly interpret Scripture. Never take an individual case in the Scripture as something that's normative. I've preached lots of funerals, and we invited Jesus to every funeral. Never once did anybody get up out of the casket. I'm probably not expecting that in the future be a little wild if it did. This particular occasion was one time with Lazarus for a particular reason. I say that for this reason. I heard a teacher last week on TV mention this, that when Jesus went into Peter's mother-in-law and healed her, he said, there you go. Jesus is not about sickness. If you have sickness, just invite Jesus, and every time you heal. Just because he healed Peter's mother-in-law that particular time doesn't mean that every time he shows up, that's the normative practice of Jesus. You see how you can take scripture and teach something that's just not there. So here you have this one occasion that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus. Notice he says that if you believe, you will see it. If she doesn't believe, the glory of God will still be accomplished in the rising of Lazarus. She won't see it. You follow me? Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Does that mean the kingdom of God won't exist? No, you'll never see it. Lazarus will come out from the tomb and you'll go, wow, I guess he wasn't really dead, was he? Wow. Had a little revival in that too. I mean, I guess, I guess we misinterpreted the death. He's still going to raise him up, but Martha won't see it. If you don't believe, you'll never see. The, the, the main thing of the human mind is, show me something and I'll believe. The Bible says, believe. And then the Spirit of God will show you. Believing and faith come first. There is no convincing needed for you. You either believe the record of God or you don't. But the amazing thing is, we believe in order to understand. We don't try to understand in order to believe. That's how you get saved. Tell me how a man who died 2,000 years ago on a cross saves me from sin and puts me in heaven. I haven't got a clue. I'll never understand that. But it was declared to me, and I believed. And since believing, my eyes have been open to it. And I still can't tell you how it all worked. I just know it worked. At the funeral yesterday, we preached about heaven, the New Jerusalem. I've never stepped foot in the New Jerusalem, but I kind of have, because I believe it's there. We look for a city that's coming, do we not? And by faith, we believe, and that belief makes us see the glory of God himself. But if you wait to see it in order to believe, you'll sit in that pew and you'll die lost. You'll die without Christ. 
And you'll get before God and say, why didn't you ever show me? And he'll say, why didn't you ever believe me? If you believe me, you'll see. Isn't that true, Christian? Don't you see things you never saw before? Isn't he real to you now where he never was real to you before? I'll never forget as a young man getting saved thinking, all those years of going to Sunday school classes, sleeping, thinking this is such a waste of time. And I never got over the idea that he's real. All right, let's move on. Take a look at verse 41. So, I love verse 41 because they didn't take away the stone until he had the dialogue with Martha. I mean, back up in 39, he said, take away the stone, and nobody moved. Nobody ran over to the stone and said, let's, let's get it out of the way. It, it took the dialogue between Martha and Jesus, and Jesus said, if you just believe, you'll see the glory of God. And at that point, maybe she looked at them, and they looked at her, and all of a sudden, they just kind of go over to, the, go over to the, the, the deal. You know, maybe like this, you know, pull, it, pull, it, pull the stone away. But they did it, so they took the stone away. Now, I know you've read this story before, and our, and, and our enemy at this point is the familiar. I want you to imagine you've never read this before, that you're at the tomb, and you don't know what's going to happen. In fact, mostly you think there's just going to be an odor come out and an embarrassing, awkward moment, and everybody's going to go home disappointed. Look at what happens. Jesus... So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. And this is what he prayed and said. Now this prayer is, is, is for them. He'll say that within the prayer. And he's going to look up toward heaven, because that's kind of where we associate God being. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing here around, that they may believe that you sent me. Isn't that beautiful? Here's your sign, Christian, non-Christian. Here's your sign written in Scripture. Here's the moment. You want to see Jesus meeting death? You want to see what happens when Jesus is mixed with death? Look at verse 43. And we had said these things. He cried out. Uh, the Greek is a little more expressive. It was a thunderous command. You ever heard anybody thunder? I've got a microphone on. I can do it for you if I'd scare you half to death. That's how he said it. He had to say Lazarus because if he hadn't said Lazarus, every dead person in the whole area of all time would have come out. He had to designate it to the man that he wanted. They all would have, I mean, it would have been a mess around that thing. Just wouldn't have been the walking dead. It would have been the walking living. Notice what he says. Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. Yeah, I, I wasn't there. I mean, how do I? Because I believe that he came out. The man came out. Are you afraid of death? Fearful? 
Socrates once said that the fear of death is the ultimate arrogance of what you think you know. We associate death with the greatest of evils because we think we know. Socrates says, you don't know. That which you think is the greatest of evils may be the greatest of goods. Now, Socrates had no hope in Christ, but he had a good point. We think death is the greatest of evils. With Christ, it is not. It can be the greatest of sorrows to us, the greatest of crushing of our heart. But those who have died and gone on in Christ, it is of the greatest good. No matter the circumstance. No matter. Some circumstances of death are more crushing than others. But the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. You ever stop to think why that's true? I think it's true for a number of reasons. I think it's precious to the Lord because he loves us so much he wants to be with us. He wants you. Have you ever been anywhere that you weren't wanted? Pretty awful feeling. Karen and I visited a couple years ago and south of here and uh, they were old friends but the moment we got in that house there was some problems that we couldn't put our finger on we got the distinct feeling um i I guess it came to me around supper time when they weren't cooking anything and not suggesting we go to eat (laughs) i finally said to my friend i said you know my folks are kind of hungry let's he was oh okay let's go i really knew the next morning when i got up and there was a couple boxes of cereal put out so here fix it yourself We took off. We got out of there. He wants you. Do you know that? He loves you so much that your death is his reward because he gets to be with you. How precious in his sight is your death because now he can be with you. He misses you. He longs for you. Can you imagine that? The God of the universe longs to see you. He wants you to show up. And the minute you walk into that celestial city, the minute you walk into his presence, you won't have to hug him. He'll hug you. It'll be precious to him. Notice in verse 44, the man who had died came out. (laughs) Resurrection power seen. Oswald Chambers in a talk on reality said this, I'll read this a couple times because it's a little deep. The existence of a truth is nothing to me until I am brought into the current events where that particular truth is a living reality to me because it speaks the language of my conscious life. The existence of a truth that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Nice words, fluffy words. The existence of the truth, that means nothing to me until I am brought into the current events, the death of Lazarus, the death of my brother in that tomb, the real rolling back of the stone, the really coming out of the dead person, until the current events where that particular truth becomes a living reality to me. Reality must have its source somewhere outside of me. There's no reality in us. The reality must come from outside of us. My conscious experience is the sphere 
of the great reality that he places in me. But I must be careful never to confuse or to confound the experience with the reality itself. The reality is that Lazarus rose from the dead. But that experience that brought the reality is not the reality itself. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. If Lazarus had not risen from that grave, the reality would still be true. That's when you know faith has its final cord. When you don't need the experience of Jesus Christ, you know the reality without the experience. That he is steady in the heartaches. That he is steady in the good times. He is steady in the bad times. His reality of his presence doesn't fluctuate to how you feel or what's going on in your life at any given time. It's real, it's real, he's real to you everywhere all the time. You don't need a fuzzy warm feeling in the service, some revival moment. I mean, I love the mountaintop experiences. I love feeling the presence of the Lord. But whether I feel it or not doesn't matter to me. The reality is still the same. P.T. Peter Taylor Forsyth was a uh, British congregationalist preacher years ago. And he wrote this. Religion confronts God, not in scrutiny or criticism, but in response, in welcome, in obedience to his visitation. Religion is only possible to revelation. Knowing Christ is only possible when he reveals himself. Religion is not aspiration, it is not temperament, it is not subject, its roots are in God moving to man, more than man moving toward God. Beautiful writing. True Christianity is not your move to God, it's you opening up to his moving toward you, showing you resurrection power. Let's finish the text. Verse 44 says the man came out. Notice his hands and his feet bound with linen strips. And his face wrapped with a a cloth. Christophetim, the early church father, said, Behold, a miracle within a miracle. How does a man bound head and feet and hand walk out of a tomb? Maybe he floated above the ground. Who knows? Somehow he walked out. How does a man that is bound around his face with cloth breathe and live? It's a miracle within a miracle. Isn't that beautiful? Now I ask you this question. Why didn't Jesus unwrap him himself? He raised him from the dead. Couldn't he have unwrapped his clothing right there and have him just come out with a nice cloth? Notice, his, notice your involvement in the process. Could not he have rolled the stone away himself? He told people to do that. And when he came out, he told people, why don't you go unwrap him for me? Notice, it said, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What a different picture than the resurrection of Christ. This is the picture of how a person gets saved. And after they're saved, they're still kind of bound with that cloth are they not are we not it takes a while to get free doesn't it now we're free there's life in us 
But we come out and we're kind of wrapped up. We're kind of bound up with some old religious stuff and some notions that we used to have and the way we used to look at things. And we're, we're, we're programmed kind of wrong. And it takes a while to get unwrapped, doesn't it? When Jesus rose from the dead, no one pulled his stone away. In fact, he didn't need the stone rolled away. He just came through the tomb, came through the wall. An angel rolled it away to show the disciples, but he just came through. Notice nobody unwrapped Jesus. His cloth, grave cloth were neatly pressed and neatly folded and sitting by the stand. That's the power of our Savior. But when you and I are saved, we need some help. And I love the church, and for this reason, that's what we're to do for one another. Help each other get unwrapped. Now, sometimes when you unwrap somebody, it's a messy process. It takes a little while. But I love that, don't you? That's what the church is for, for discipleship, for ministry to one another, to help us get free. You know, the greatest way you can help somebody is to grow in Christ yourself, Amen. grow in grace. Because they're going to look over you and go, you know, they, they don't, they're not bound up like I'm bound up. You know, that's, they look a little different than I look. And it helps them get loose and free. I love that. Uh, most in the church today would take Lazarus out of the thing and just add to his bondage and just wrap him up a little tighter. That way they could control him. Ah, that's enough of that. I don't want to get into that. Number one, to the world, death is a cave and a stone. Don't ever buy that lie. Don't buy it. Death is not a cave and a stone. It's rolling the stone away. And life comes out of death. The words of Gandalf, oh no, this is not the end. This is only the beginning. I see green pastures. I see an emerald sea. And I see the glory of Jesus Christ. That's beyond Gandorf. Number two. You notice Jesus removes the stone, but not the cave. There's still death. There still is. There's heartache at the cave. But he got rid of the stone. That's the important part, isn't it? As long as the Lord tarries before he comes back, there'll be death. Who knows what any of us have to face at any given time. The next few seconds are not promised to you, no matter how young or old you are. The cave is still there. But Jesus takes care of the stone. Don't you love that? Number three, mm, gives us life, but he involves you and I in the process. He does the great things of giving life, but you still wrapped up? You still in bondage to anything? You got some grave clothes on your mouth. You got some wrapped stuff. You got, you got just this kind of deal. You got any of that kind of stuff? Grace frees all that. You know, he loves you just like you are. You know, there's no shame to a Christian. Absolutely not. Yeah, but you don't know what I did last week. It doesn't matter what you did last week. What matters is that Christ lives in your heart. What matters is he is there and he has made you close. He has made you as close as you can. I saw a church sign that says, go deeper. I thought, well, how much deeper could we possibly go when we're one with Christ? You can't go any deeper than that. There is no shame. There is no guilt. 
If you're living with the grave clothes of guilt, it's because of pride. I'll be honest with you. It's because you thought you could do something different. You're taking it out of the realm of a sovereign God who does all things well and makes no mistakes and things. Oh, if I'd have done something different, something different would have happened. No, it would not have. There is no shame. I don't care how many mistakes and sins and things you've done. There's no shame to the Christian. None. Reject shame and reject pride. Reject pride. Lord Jesus, uh, as we pause and pray, we ask you to uh, minister the word of God to people's hearts. I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice who has never believed on Christ in this building that they would come to Christ. And they can only come to Christ if you open their eyes and make them aware of it. And I know you want to do that. And I pray that uh, they would respond to the grace of God. There is no more powerful picture than Lazarus coming out of the, the tombs. That's what you want to do for us right now. Give us resurrection life presently.